Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Like my Twitter feed, the Bearcats offense is filled with nothing but nonsense, things that I can't comprehend that why they're even showing up. Right now, I am not fired up. I am the opposite of fired up. However, it's still a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan solely because we have a big football game coming up on Friday at noon. But that's not what we're here to talk about right now. We are going to talk about it. We are going to talk about the football game, but you are correct. But not this very second. This very second, we are going to do what many people, level-headed folks, reasonable folks, might suggest is a bit irrational or risky or questionable decision-making. We're going to record a podcast after the Bearcats lost their second game in Maui at the hands of upstate rival Ohio State University, an 81-53 to defeat. This coming one day after an 11.30 p.m. Eastern time. I'll call it a thrashing. I guess we'll get into the semantics of that. A thrashing at the hands of the Arizona Wildcats, number 14 in the country, 101 to 93 points. The Bearcats now sit at three and three on the season. They won their first three games against Chaminade, Cleveland State, and Eastern Kentucky. And they followed those three victories up with three losses at Northern Kentucky and then two neutral games in Maui to Arizona and Ohio State. And if you look on the interwebs, this performance against Ohio State sent people into a bit of a tizzy. And I would say it's a little different from the reaction we saw and we experienced and we maybe felt personally based on uh, that Arizona defeat, because I feel like the, the vibe for those that stayed awake until 1.30 AM, 2 AM or so after that Arizona game was, Hey, silver lining. That team has a lot more talent than us. That team has more cohesiveness. That team is, is one of the best in the country and could potentially make a final four run and losing to them by eight points and scoring 93 points. There is something, there's something to build on after that Arizona performance. And that was something that was badly needed after the, the loss at Northern Kentucky. But now that Arizona loss is, is sandwiched in between a, a, an absolute beatdown at the hands of Ohio state where they just utterly dominated us from start to finish. And so I'm not even sure how to necessarily kick it off Hummer, but I want to get your you know, initial reaction to what what we're seeing right now with the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team 6 games into West Miller's second season as head basketball coach. Uh, I'm listening to the radio call today cuz I was, I was leaving work. I was trying to walk the mean streets of New York watching Hulu. And I was like, you know what? Let's be safe, right? Let's, let's be safe. Let's put it on iHeartRadio. Uh, discovered that the feed there is at least two minutes behind what actually happens in real life. But that's beside the point. Uh, but it also freed me up to do a, do a little research. Not a lot. A little light, light scratching. Uh, Cincinnati gave up a hundo a hundo to Arizona like that's reserved for you know shamanades and the St. Thomas Moore type of, of games we're letting we're letting you know college college basketball teams drop a hundo on us Southern just a university called Southern did not let Arizona drop a hundred on them <laughs> a, Utah, a Utah State uh Utah Tech Utah Tech University let Arizona drop 104 on them. Uh, we did not score. I think we scored the same amount of points as Robert Morris did against Ohio State. Uh, 
we we scored less points than a team called Charleston Southern against Ohio State. I mean, basically what I'm thinking, I mean, what I'm seeing here is, is I heard on the radio call that they're like, oh, we have a, Cincinnati has a great defense. And I'm like, you know what? Let's take a step back. It's not. We are not a great defensive team. We're not even a good defensive team. We are terrible in the low post. We are letting teams get behind us for two bangers all day. They live in our paint. They live there for easy buckets. And it's frustrating because we're also not back. We're getting beat on the boards. We're not rebounding. And this is just defense. We're not even talking offense. This is, this is just terrible, terrible defense. We look lost on the defensive floor. Way to hold back. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think let, it's kind of interesting to think about how to talk about this. I think in an ideal world, we would have not recorded this podcast until after the Louisville game. After the tournament wrapped up, we could have kind of put a bow on it and wrapped up exactly how the Bearcats performed looking at all three of their games. Given the schedule, given this final game being at 7.30, the, the night before Thanksgiving, and the fact that the football game is on Friday, it makes sense to record now. And we can add our caveats to you know the two, the two potential outcomes of the Louisville game and how each one of them might make us feel. That said, I, I kind of want to rewind and say and ask you after this Arizona game, let's let's kind of capture that moment after the Arizona game. You actually did stay up. You watched the entire thing like I expected you would because I didn't I didn't stay up. Let me let me be let me be frank. I'll be I'll be honest with 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 the peoples. I went to bed at, at 9 p.m. and I set an alarm for 11:15. So I went to bed. I woke up. I watched this game to completion. Went back to bed at 2 p.m. and was up at 5:30 in the morning, ready to rock and roll, ready to take on the day, and unsure about how I felt about playing Ohio State. But take, um, but, so put me in your, your mindset though. So you watch the Bearcats go. I'll, you know, go toe to toe thrashing, whatever you want to, however you want to interpret the game, put me in your mental state before playing Ohio state. Where was your head at after that Arizona performance in terms of how the Bearcats played, what your outlook was on the season and how are you reviewing this team five games in? I'm looking at, at a team like we're playing Arizona. They're ranked what 14th in the nation if you look at all of their games so far against the scrubs that they've played, they've dropped a hundo bag on everybody except one team Southern. I don't know where Southern is, but they didn't drop a hundred on them. And, and frankly, we were, we had some players step up and hit some shots and I was feeling just basically like, okay, we got outclassed by better athletes more and a more athletic team, a bigger team. They're, they're massive in terms of size against us, a lot of mismatches there. Uh, but then when you really sink in and you have a few hours to think about it and you take the fact that, that we backdoor covered the spread off of it. And that prior to that read coming in, we, this, the deficit, I think was 15 before we, we knocked it down to, I think it ultimately settled at, at nine. Uh, if I'm wrong on my math there, so sue me, whatever, it doesn't matter. This was, in fact, it was a blowout. We were losing 15 before we had two meaningless three pointers that looked really good though. I gotta, I gotta say I was a fan of, of Reed knocking us down. Uh, but I basically left that game thinking this isn't the worst thing in the world. It was expected that we were going to lose this game. We, I don't think any of the fan base that I was talking to had this crazy thing. where like, Hey, let's go throw 20 on the money line. I think the cats can squeak this one out. You know, I think it was, it was, if anything, you were like, I, I think we're going to cover comfortably if anything, but I know I wasn't too upset, but then facing the Buckeyes, uh, I wish the result, I wish the results would have been switched. I wish we would have had a shot at actually beating the Buckeyes and gotten blown out by Arizona. That's an interesting and good, honest reflection on that game. I, I think I was in the minority after the Arizona game where I did not feel reassured at all by that performance. And this isn't revisionist history either. I, I was texting you after the game. I was 
I was in our Discord server uh, chatting with a group of folks throughout the game. And what I saw against Arizona, what I've seen now against Ohio State, and what I've seen throughout the, the, the first six games of this basketball season and throughout essentially the entirety of Wes Miller's tenure at UC, it's the same theme of I don't know what the plan is in terms of execution. Our, our approach on offense is hero ball. It's it's putting players into isolation situations, a couple dribbles, taking a step back jumper, taking a pull up contested three point shot. It, it's it's Hail Mary high volume three point attempts for a team that generally. Is not a very good shooting team, and, and on this one particular night against Arizona, we had this extremely funky second half where we outscore Arizona 63 to 61. Again, we scored 63 points in the second half of the Arizona game on the back of Landers Nolly, who just was was in fuego and on fire and just and locked in in a way that he hadn't been throughout the entire season. He went nine of 14 from three, scored 33 total points. But what I couldn't get past watching the game was these were not high pressure or high leverage moments. These were careless, free flowing shots because we weren't in the game. And defensively, we were having laps after laps after laps. And letting the Arizona big men get behind us for easy layups, breaking us down for simple dunks. Um, we did not have the level of resistance defensively that you need to beat a team like Arizona. And I, I think about that matchup, and we, we decided strategically to go toe-to-toe with them in a fast-paced game, which is their strength. And when you're the weaker team and the team with less talent, you should not be playing into the strengths of your opponent like we did for Arizona. We ended up allowing them to shoot 62% from the field. They shot 53% from three. They shot 25 free throws. They beat us by seven on the boards and, and, you know, had 16 assists. It just, they outclassed us in every, every facet of the game. Let me play devil's advocate with you there a little bit though. Doesn't our team perform better offensively when we're playing fast in up tempo? Cause our, our half court game, lacks we we are we in my mind offensively we are worse off settling in into a half court offense i i don't disagree with you i think that based on our roster construction right now it does seem like our strength might lie in making the game a bit more up tempo which means it was death against arizona we had no chance if the if the only way we know how to play is to play fast and jack reckless three-pointers and have no no morality or or filter when it comes to shot selection then we're in trouble from the get-go we would have stood no chance against arizona when you're we've seen our team be outmanned against better competition and better talent in the past with other other coaches i mean mick cronin specifically you muddy a game up you slow it down, you shorten the, you, you reduce the number of possessions and, and you grind your ass off on defense. And, and we showed none of that against Arizona. And, and you follow that up with a performance against Ohio state where it's more of the same. And I don't necessarily want to harp on individual performances in each of these games. We can certainly get into celebrating the leap that Victor Locken has taken. He has certainly made a significant jump in his second season playing with the Bearcats. Um, or, or I guess it might be his third season. Technically, it's his third season playing with the Bearcats. Yeah, he um, had a. <laughs> speaking of him, he had he had the ball wide open on the perimeter, and a small part of me, a very small part of me, was just like, "Do it, do it," <laughs> but he didn't. And instead, he actually took the ball to the hole and scored and scored. And I was like. Yes. And the only reason I was kind of saying doing it because I was so so bad want to be able to compare him to like a ridiculous comparison of like Joel Embiid, but I know he's not, you know, I know that's like completely ridiculous, but I'm like, just jack the three and make it so I can make that comparison. Um, Honestly, I'm happy to see that he worked that out of his game. I'm glad that he's abandoned the three point (laughs) shot. I don't know if he's ever taken one, but my, what what I'm basically trying to get to is I think with Victor Locking, you're right. I love seeing that he's taking that next step. It's it sucks though that I think he's what's the right way to say it? he's not soft. That's not the right way. 
I think we have to he has to have his minutes limited because I think there's some injury proneness here and we need him healthy. Like it is clear when he is not on the court, this team lacks any sort of interior defense presence whatsoever. He's the only reliable big man on this team. And I think that kind of trickles back to roster construction by Wes Miller. We went into the transfer portal and we decided to prioritize getting a guy like Rob Finnessy over more depth at the big man position. Rob Finnessy is a redundancy with Micah Adams Woods. He is he's a poor man's Adams Woods, frankly. He he defends well, but he can't shoot, is not a creator on offense, and therefore is a replica of something we already had on the roster. Um ouch. We, <laughs> That's it's it's not necessarily. It's fair. It's, it's fair. It's, a, it's, it's fair. a replica. It's a replica. It's not to say like Micah, both of them have their faults. Both of them have their strengths, but it doesn't, it didn't necessarily add something new to the team. Um, Odie, not Odie, but um, Kalu Izikbe came from Old Dominion. And as Ugh. so far this season, he's been completely overmatched. I and wish he, someone would have had a bigger bag to offer him. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm trying, trying to be mean. He's not my favorite player on the team right now. I, I'm seeing him just like he's a liability on both ends. He, yeah, for some reason, well. has no touch against the, against the glass, and he is just completely botching defensive assignments, and it's, it's egregious. Like it, It's to the point where you I, – I don't know if we actually said this on a podcast. It's been a while since we recorded or not, or if this was just you and I talking – it's one of those things where it's like, I wish Wes would actually just call a timeout when that happened and just pulled him out immediately. And just to say a statement of like, you need, like you need to be, you need to be hitting these defensive assignments. And I know there was a point in the game where um, I think it was, it was coach coach Morgan came up and was basically like all over him, all in his face and like, like yelling at him, basically kind of saying like, you need to get your, you need to get, you need to get together here. Uh, something has to change there. Otherwise, he he needs to he needs to have his minutes drastically decreased. You're already seeing it though. Arizona, he ended up getting nine minutes, and it might even be less. Against nine Ohio minutes State. too. Nine minutes too many. <laughs> I'm didn't get I'm, many. It's, it's rough. It's rough. It's rough. Right, but the but the but the way that that West Miller has handcuffed himself. Zikpe got eight minutes tonight against Ohio State. The way he's handcuffed himself is that right now there's only three big men on the roster that that play minutes. There's Victor Locken, Odio Guama, and and Kalu Izikbe. Sage Tolentino, a freshman seven footer, is also on the roster, but all intentions seem to be that he was going to be redshirting up until the post game press conference for OSU, where Wes Miller did seem to to allude to the fact that Sage Tolentino, in their mind, is ahead of the curve where they expected him to be, but that due to the current situation in the front court for the Bearcats, he and the coaching staff were kicking around the idea uh, of introducing Sage into the lineup. And I want to come back and put a pin in that. We're going to come back to it. We're not going to go down the Sage wormhole yet. I guess my my biggest concern is that what we've seen now against Arizona and Ohio State is not new for the rest of the season or to what we saw through the first four games. You and I got hopped on a podcast and recorded and we're apoplectic after watching us get trounced by NKU in the second half, I think by 17 points in the second half of that game, we, there's so many broken defensive assignments. There's poor transition defense. There's seemingly a slowness to adapt and change defenses and change looks throughout a game. And then there's an offensive strategy that's zero ball or hero ball. It's, it's every man for himself out there. And, and in my mind, I, I described it as a selfish mentality last season. It is a selfish brand of basketball. We went three or four minutes, I think maybe five minutes into the second half of the Ohio State game before getting an assist. The Cincinnati Bearcats did not record well, we only, an and we, only, we only had one point as well. We had at one, what, you're, what you're saying is we had just as many points as assist. <laughs> no, but we had that was through the entire game. We had zero assists in in the first 25 minutes of basketball against Ohio State. 
And so my biggest concern is not necessarily the results. You're going to, in a, in a, in a rebuilding situation like West Miller's in, because we can call it a rebuilding situation. You're going to have tough losses. Mick Cronin had it. Every coach who's taking over a new program will generally have some tough losses, frustrating seasons even. But what they're doing is hammering away at establishing a culture, establishing a type, a style of play, establishing um, their their imprint or, or kind of leaving their imprint on the program so that as they recruit and build upon it, you're, bring, you're building on something real and something tangible and something that fans and, and team, the team, coaching staff, players can all hang their hats on. We do not have a culture or a style or, or seemingly a plan of attack at this point. And I think that is, it's, it's very frustrating to watch. It's also concerning. It's also concerning that it, we can't, there's no coherent strategy here. You guys, you, everybody remembers this. If you're a UC basketball fan, you remember this. There were games where Mick Cronin's offense was literally dribble it outside of the arc for 20 seconds and then jack up a three. Like that was legitimately an offense that we watched for a year. That was incredible. A couple of years that was incredibly frustrating. At least on the other end of it, we knew they were playing defense. We might win bait ball games in, with a score in the fit, both teams in the fifties. We don't have that on the other end when we're playing this type of hero ball. And it's, it's ugly. It's not fun to watch. And frankly, we're not good at it either. Like we don't have the athletes to have five players playing ISO. Like it's just, it's not there. There needs to be something done that is actual basketball. And that's where at first I was pushing back on you pretty hard about some criticism of Wes Miller. And we just watched two games where at times, like you just look lost three games where you just look like you don't know what to do. You don't have an answer. And we said this before, who do you look toward to those in those moments where the team doesn't have an answer? The ultimate leader in college basketball is the coach. We said it after, I know, in, on, if you're not checking out our Discord channel, by the way, check out our Twitter, get the details there, hop on Discord. Uh, we had a really good conversation, especially uh, I think it was after the Arizona game where for some reason we were, we were talking about Nevada. And so I'm coming full circle here. We talk about that class of Nevada, and we said constantly that who was the leader who should have been able to, you know, call a timeout, get the team back into the mental capacity to win that game? Mick Cronin. We we kind of put that that loss on the on the shoulders of Mick Cronin, and I'm starting to be more willing to put these losses onto the shoulders of Wes Miller, and saying that we're not seeing leadership out there, we're not seeing direction, we're not seeing the offense going in a direction they're scattered. The leadership point is, is a good one because what I, I, I know that Wes Miller is not going to be Wes Miller is going to be himself, which does seem to be more of a player's coach. He is someone that puts a lot of emphasis on relating to the players, identifying with the players and, and being, being someone who's able to coach them without being overbearing or, I don't know, mean, he just, he doesn't really have that mean streak to him because of that. When we're watching the game and, and the flow of the offense is interrupted because, you know, Jeremiah Davenport decided to hoist a three pointer rather than getting into an offense. That's something we saw continuously throughout the last season, um, 2021, 22. And, and Jeremiah was never necessarily yanked out of a game or questioned in a post game about his shot selection and whether it was acceptable. In fact, Wes Miller would oftentimes encourage Jeremiah to continue shooting in that way because that's what he wanted from, from, from him. And so fast forward into this season and you're seeing the same type of play. You're seeing this, the same type of reckless shot taking sometimes shot making, but mostly just shot taking. And because Wes Miller isn't, there's no, there's no seemingly, there's no accountability to those shots or those decisions. I don't know if that's exactly, if they're playing the exact style he wants. So while I keep in my head, I'm saying it's a player problem. It's a player problem. They're not, they're not executing. I can't say that anymore because he doesn't seem to have an issue with how they conduct and how they, how they function as an offense. And then defensively, you see the same thing where, you know, breakdowns, missed rotations, 
getting bullied in the post, getting abused and isolated over and over again. And, and you don't see Wes Miller respond to that in kind with, you know, a quick substitution that says you went in the game, you didn't execute, you didn't deliver, come back right on the bench. Let's talk about it, but you can't be in the game unless you're going to be out there executing the, the system, executing the game plan and helping us win the game. He's not, he has no quick trigger. And I do think there's an element of this that is Wes Miller needs to needs to have a, a, a more of a mean streak when it comes to the coaching side of things, not mean in the sense of abuse or, uh, you know, treatment of players. That's, that's not something you'd want to be represented at UC, but coach them, coach them hard, be demanding of them, have high expectations of your players, make sure they're doing exactly what you want them to do on the court. A lot of our, a lot of college basketball, a lot of our greatest coaches, not just at UC, but across the country are guys that are, that are tend to be authoritative in terms of how you run the basketball offense or the defense. How they want things done exactly their way and they expect it. And if you don't deliver that, you'll be sitting on the bench in, in place of someone who will give us that. And I think that Wes Miller needs to find a way to better balance that style of coaching with, with, you know, the tack that I'm sure he's taking that is meant to sort of counter the transfer portal, NIL, and being able to not just recruit new players, but retain players that are on the current roster. You have to sort of, you have to, you have to find that balance. But the most important thing above all is playing a winning style of basketball and showing recruits and current players that you can coach and deliver really good results on the court. And right now that is not something we're seeing at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying so hard to to remember how I put this because I, I love I, I I love thinking about this. Jeremiah Davenport, like ten out of ten times, I cringe when he shoots a three. Two point five out of ten times, I sigh in relief. <laughs> like I, it's just because his shot selection is it's it is who he is at this point. There is no getting around it. It is who he is. And I don't think we're going to, I don't think that's going to change. I don't think they're going to put a red light on him. I don't think they're going to tell him to stop at this point. It's just, it is who he is. I think this will be an eye opening loss. I think this loss at the hands of Ohio state and how, how thoroughly we were dominated will be a loss that leads to changes maybe in rotation, but, but also in terms of how Wes Miller goes about, how are you, cha- how are you changing, how are you changing up rotation? What's your, so Give us your take. Give us your take a, on what's going on with the roster. What what would what would Zach Coomer do from the armchair coaches lounge? <laughs> I think first and foremost, this is this is a popular opinion, but right now with where the team is at, where where we're at in program building, and he started doing it tonight. This was a good sign. Daniel Skillings got 19 minutes and Josh Reed got 16 minutes. Josh Reed didn't see the court through the first several games of the year. And I don't know if it was because John Newman was expected to play a bigger role and therefore maybe Reed was going to get redshirted, but with Newman out for an extended period of time and with, with Hensley struggling, who's who's seemingly out of the rotation right now, um, Josh Reed and Daniel Skillings getting significant minutes every single game is something that I think is a key going forward because this is not going to be a team that is making the tournament this season. This is not a team that's that's contending for postseason play. And therefore, let's get our young players and the players that have the potential of being future mainstays in our lineups as we enter the Big 12. Let's get them legitimate, high-level experience on a college basketball court. Daniel Skillings and Josh I, Reed. I completely say- disagree. I think that we should redshirt them all. No, I'm just kidding. I think that's that's 100% reasonable expectations of what we should want to see at this point cuz like we don't want uh, I think you were saying earlier, but let's it's like a balance between all right, players got to execute, coaches got to coach. But at the same time, this is a rebuild. Let's come in next year with having Two who I think are probably going to be good recruits. I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be solid. Let's get them the experience. Let's get them out there. And that sounds completely intuitive, unintuitive. It's, I think we're going to hit this point that we were putting a pin in, which was with with Sage Tolentino. You know, maybe redshirting him 
because I, I don't know if that just benefits a big like him better or wait, what's your take on that? Do we guess, do we put Sage out there or, or, you know, do we need to know that he's absolutely ready to, to play? Sage Tolentino getting in the game feels like it, it feels like a panic move. I wish we had more depth at the big man position. I wish that we had more size. I wish that we had more rim protection, but we don't. Seven footers often take some time to transition to college basketball. There's some level of development that has to occur from a physicality standpoint, putting on strength, putting on muscle, getting your body in position to be able to take the banging that happens in college basketball. We don't want him sustaining more injuries. We want him strong enough to last throughout a season. So much banging, so much bruising. Um, So don't, don't overreact to the lack of rim protection and the, you know, the weakness that we have right now in the front court in a way that'll sacrifice Tolentino's long-term value to the program. If he needs time to develop from a basketball skill standpoint or from a physicality standpoint, just let it be right. Figure out a way to get by with Victor Lockin and Odio Guama as your main two bigs work in Kaluzikbe where you can, but there needs to be, you, you just sort of have to accept the reality of what the roster construction is and don't sacrifice the long-term potential of Sage. I don't want to see him overreacting. Now, it's a different story if Sage is blowing him away in practice and is totally ready and would come in and be our second-best big man. If that's true, it's a different conversation. And Yeah, let's get him some real minutes and, and figure out a new rotation. Is there a scenario this season where you overreact? In what, in what sense? Well, I know my scenario where I overreact. You ready? All right, I'll go there. I'll go there. I'm going to go there. Ohio State, loss. Louisville, loss. Xavier, loss. Miami of Ohio, loss. We lose these four games against Plus NKU. local teams. Yeah, NKU. I'll lose my mind. I will lose my mind. I will do what no fan should do. I'll go there. I'm not going to say where I'm going, but I'll go there. <laughs> I can't no, even take might, my brain to that place yet. We can if we if we it might be, swept just, by local Ohio. No, thank you. Uh, I'm more I'm I'm more basically saying like thinking like where you're at with that with like Sage. Let's he's a project. I think we all knew that coming in. You know, like you you sometimes you recruit guys that are that they have potential, but you have to develop it. He's a seven footer. All right, if he's ready to go, let's do it. If not, get him into the monster factory. You know get him playing at the, at, with these guys, get him, get him back up, get him up to speed with the game, have him ready to go, you know, as a, as a fre- red shirt freshman next year. Yeah. And the more I think about it, I hate the idea. I would not bring him back. Don't, don't waste a year of his eligibility to save, to try and save a season that's lost. Again, this, this team is not a tournament team and Wes Miller is coaching to win games. I understand that, but when it comes to ties or close calls, and this is what, what I get to back to his skillings and read and, and obviously Victor Locke is getting plenty of minutes at this point, but if it's a close call and these guys are more or less equals, put the, put the freshmen in who are ready to play and ready to contribute, let them get the experience. And Victor, Victor and I know you, is my I, saving I, grace this year. I love Victor. <laughs> no doubt. He's always been our saving grace. Don't get hung up on the results, Tamara. And I, I honestly encourage all of our fans to think this way. I'm talking about Bearcat fans. Do not get caught up in – we cannot get caught up in, in results over process. I'm I'm frustrated and concerned and upset right now. Yeah, I'm surprised, you were, I'm surprised you were saying that because you were – you were going down a pretty dark path here for not on this pod, but no, I'm upset about the process. I think the process is very concerning. I'm not saying I am in a dark place. I'm not in a good place at all with, with how I feel about West Miller's coaching abilities. I don't think he's doing a good job right now, but I think I'm focusing. I'm, that's, I'm that's, choosing that's, to focus that's a, on process. That's a good, but that's a good observation. You know, it took, it took me a while to come around to start seeing it, but when Results are results, and we're not getting them. And guys look lost on the court. That's coaching. We're not rebounding. That's coaching. We're not playing defense. That's coaching. Right. You this can have, college, have identity. This you can have NBA. identity this and style of play. You can have identity and style of play no matter what your talent level is. 
And right now we don't have those things. And so I know what the talent is. I know that we need more talent. I, we also know we were well aware as UC fans over the past few years, the portal is not some obvious solution or, or quick fix to your program. You have to hit. We've had plenty of portal transfers not work out. You can run off whichever players you want to run off. It doesn't mean you're getting something better in return. The best solution right now for the Cincinnati Bearcats is for Wes Miller to do a better job coaching this Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team. And so the criticism we're lobbying or the criticism criticism we're levying against him right now is, is, a, is an element of pressure or is an element of desire for us to see him adjusting and see him looking inward to figure out ways that he can do a better job for this team and do a better job for this program. Going after big names like Collier is great, but he did not land Isaiah Collier. That is not a quick fix that's coming to the University of Cincinnati. It was a one-year stopgap anyway. This is not a guy who was here for the long term. It's more imperative that we see Wes Miller show signs of competent, high-level basketball coaching than it is to to winning games because we magically splashed in a bunch of a bunch of hero ball three pointers. I want to see good fucking basketball. I want to see us have well, a cohesive there it strategy. Is. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. We got Coomer to drop the f bomb on the podcast. That's some money. That's going into the cookie jar. That's a donation to the Cincy Reigns NIL right there. You know what? I think that's something we should do. For every time we drop a we drop a curse bomb on the pod, we have to donate. What, what do you want to do? A dollar, ten dollars? Like what's 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 extravagant here for every curse word we donate to Cincy Reigns? I like uh, uh, you like where we're going. I like with this? the donation idea, but I'm not I'm not <laughs> getting rid of high volume of these when I want to have them. So we can talk. We can do a dollar. Start tallying right. the dollars from here on out. So I'm I O one. One is in the cookie jar. I don't want to look. We kind of we're kind of beating a dead horse at this point. We're frustrated. The team is not playing well. I don't have. I have not seen much over the past year plus of West Miller that's leading me to feel the warm and fuzzies. But I am open minded to the idea that just like players can improve, coaches can improve, and coaches can learn from their mistakes, and coaches can see that the the way they're going about things, and the lack of accountability for players, and the lack of urgency for seeing improvement in terms of execution on the court, these things are not working and they're not delivering results in the win-loss column, but they're also not delivering results in terms of how we're playing this game. And so I, I do believe truly that Wes Miller can adjust, can improve, but that we need to see it. We, he, I expect it. He needs to do a much better job than he has done so far at the University of Cincinnati. Now, now can I take this a complete right-hand turn? To football, to, fo to football, I hope. That's, that's what I was thinking. I was, we're going to hop on the roundabout here, and we're going to take the third exit to the left on a six-exit roundabout here. We're getting off on Footballville. Okay, yeah, but real I'm not quick, gonna, I'm real quick, because I don't want to come back to basketball, but we're recording this before the Louisville game. Just tell me where your head's at. Tell me where your head's at if we lose to Louisville. A four-letter word that starts with F. Fuck. <laughs> We're each at a dollar. <laughs> Folks, Louisville is 0-5 on the year. Got you guys. I got you guys there. I knew exactly what you think. You I know exactly what you think I was going to say. No. Just fuck. <laughs> Louisville on the year lost to Bellarmine 67-66. Wright State 73-72. Appalachian State 61-60. That's a brutal stretch of one-point losses. Then they followed that up with a loss to Arkansas 80-54. And then Texas Tech seventy to thirty eight. This has got to be a win. It's got to be a win, Hummer. It's got to be as, a win. As much as we're melting down tonight, it goes tenfold if you lose to Louisville and go to three and four and let them get their first win in the season. All right, and now, now I was just talking about it. I was just talking about process, and here I am focusing on a result. But I'm just we're saying focusing on the result here. I'm worried about we it. Need. We need it. But like I said, we're going through a roundabout that has six exits here, and I'm taking you on the third one to the left here. Football, changing gears, Sauce Gardner, number one ranked defensive cornerback, not rookie, defensive, I guess there is no offensive cornerback, so it is cornerback. 
in the NFL. Number one, number one per, per football, football, football focus. Yes. Um, are we missing something here? Like, I want to take this somewhere before we get into the, talking a little bit about the implications of, of Friday's game. Oh, I love where you're taking this, but this feels like a, a way to end the pod. Like, I actually no, you know what? I want to I want to handle this first because I don't want to so no, no. think about this. I want to go. I want to go revisit last season with the undefeated season. I know, and what we didn't do. You want to? You literally want to relitigate history before yeah. talking about this team playing a home senior night game against Tulane to get into the AAC championship game. Yeah, because I want to end the game. The, I want to I want to end this on a positive note, not a negative note. So I want to sandwich some bad revisionist history. Oh. I just right, refuse. Fine. I refuse. He's, he's refusing. It's out of order. It's out of order. I promise you. I, I want to do this. I think it's, I know you're going to be upset at me. It's a great idea for a conversation and I want to talk about it. All right. So but, what let's talk about. We literally ben just, Bryant. we just spent 45 minutes. Ben Bryant has a broken foot. Is that what we're hearing? <laughs> 45 minutes in an extremely dark place about the basketball team. And we want to go even darker by going hard on what happened last year. I would just promise you. No, no, we're, we're changing gears. Ben Bryant, broken foot. Evan Prater. Well, it's a rumor. Let's look, assume the rumor is true. There's a significant lower body injury that's going to prevent Ben Bryant from playing this week. That's what and, we hear. And Evan Prater is going to be the starting quarterback for the Cincinnati Bearcats against Tulane to attempt to win the regular season for the American Athletic Conference and push us to hosting another American Athletic Championship game against most likely central Florida. Those are the stakes for Evan Prater in his first start as a quarterback of the university of Cincinnati Bearcats. Is that something you might be interested in? At least the games at home. Now I'm pumped. Sorry, I'm not pumped about the injury because look at the end of the day, Ben Bryant has this team with two losses, nine wins, playing for the right, the host in American athletic conference championship again at Nipper stadium. That is an amazing accomplishment. He deserves all the kudos in the world for getting us there for all of the shortcomings. Look, this team is imperfect. There's a lot of issues that, 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 that happened here, but for the vast majority of the season, everybody's been kind of wondering why Mr. Ohio hasn't been starting games, hasn't been getting a shot at quarterback. And now one way or the other, the die has been cast and we will see what happens with Mr. Prater. It's, it's massive. It's sort of our fan base seems to have been split between the Prater and Ben Bryant camps all season long, dating back before training camp. You had people who wanted to see Prater start start from the get-go. Me, me, I wanted to see that. Um, we both well, did. <laughs> <laughs> but then you have other folks who said, look, you know, and, and this is a very safe line to take, but you could say, I trust Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle's a great coach, and I trust him. And whatever he decides, I agree, is best I for the Cincinnati I knew we should have gone down the dark hole first. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, he went with Ben Bryant. Ben Bryant apparently decisively won the battle, the, the quarterback battle in camp. And and honestly, Ben Bryant has had a really, really good season for the Bearcats overall. Is he Des Ritter? No. Is he is he infallible? No. He has he has plenty of shortcomings. You know, he's not someone who's very mobile, but he has an explosive arm and it's paired, it's paired like wine and cheese with Tyler Scott on the deep ball. I, I have loved the explosiveness of Ben Bryant to Tyler Scott. It has been a, a beauty. It has been, it has been something magnificent to behold. Doesn't it sometimes see, seem though that the throws that Ben Bryant's connecting on with Tyler Scott aren't exactly, you know, the, the bombs that we're talking about. It's, it's a, it's a nice 20, 25 yard pass cotton traffic that Tyler Scott is able to take off with incredible speed and do his best Jamar Chase impression to elude tackles into the end zone. What I'm saying is, is I think he gets helped out a lot by the receivers and we have an elite, we have a, we have really good receivers. Like, I don't know. 
weapons. If I can, just generally speaking, yeah, weapons. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to go through and say, is this maybe the best wide receiver core that we've had ever? No, it's not. It's not the best wide receiver core ever. And I think when you throw Alec Pierce into the fold last season, last season had more weapons. Last season had more weapons. What? What is interesting, that, and I, I actually think that Ben Bryant has thrown some absolute bombs. I know some of them yeah, are catching. Runs. I know, I know, I know some of them. I know some of them he's connected on, but we know of more where we have wide open receivers with no one for twenty yards around him, and all you have to do is literally underthrow the ball five yards, but the ball instead is sailing, or it's thrown out of bounds. It's just, it's. Finn. Hummer, here's the weird thing. Fan bases have these hypothetical debates all the time. And you never actually well, we get did. an you never get an answer because the coach decides he goes with who he wants to go with, things work out, and the rest is history. Two years ago, the fan base wanted to see Desmond Ritter benched in favor of Ben Bryant. It didn't happen. Luke Fickle stayed with Des Ritter, and, and the rest was history. He was obviously the right decision. We never even got to see the other side of the coin. This year, after this hotly debated, hotly contested conversation swirling around our quarterbacks, we get to actually see the other side of the coin, but we get to see it at the highest leverage moment of the season. This is the biggest game of the year. Home, Tulane. Is it a 33-game home winning streak on the line? The stakes could not be higher for Evan Evan Prater. I think I text you this. I think I text you this. This is the game I do not want to lose. I do not want the home game winning streak to be ended, eliminated, vanquished by a, a an AAC opponent that is going to be remaining in the AAC. Our you most know, da- like, isn't this our, isn't this Hummer's famous most dangerous opponent on the schedule? Or was that East Carolina? That was East Carolina. Okay. Shout out to East Carolina. That was a tough one. Hey, (laughs) it was tough. I was texting you on that one. Like I have no faith in this. I had lost all faith. I was like, this is a loss. I was pulling, I was pulling our, our famous Neil, (laughs) Neil quote to you guys. This is a loss guys. It's over. Every time East East Carolina got the ball. No, this is it. This is where they, they dagger us. It's done. Uh, The The Bearcats are only favored by two points against Tulane. It's a two point spread. And I'm guessing that that has to do with how hard it is to play in Nippert. I think that's a two point favor into the crowd. Right. But I thought home field. Well, I mean, it's, I know NFL betting a little better, but in, in the NFL home field is tends to be three points, which would mean neutral field Tulane would get the edge. Probably. Oh, blasphemy. I also think, though, this is a particularly hard game for Vegas to really even handicap because there is not a lot of tape on Evan. There's not a lot for them to go off of other than, all right, they're playing at Cincinnati. Let's say this game's a toss-up, but it's a new quarterback, so we're going to give them minus two. But that, that also, that I think, goes into tape. our favor because Tulane doesn't have that tape either, and they don't know what he's actually capable of. And there are times where he can throw some dimes. He may not have the deep ball in terms of throwing it 40 yards down, down field, I don't but even he think can we hit know, 25. I don't, I don't think we've ever seen him even try and do it. We don't know. And we know, and we know they're going to. We know they're going to try it, absolutely. They're definitely going to try it, especially when you think that Tulane may naturally want to creep toward the line because they know it's going to be a, a heavier run-based offense than it would otherwise be with Ben Bryant. I, I It's a fascinating matchup, and I think that someone's reputation who's – a reputation that's definitely on the line in this matchup is, is Gino Gadulli. I think that transitioning His reputation. From, yes. This is a huge moment for Gino Gadulli. It's a huge moment. I'm not going to say his reputation's on the line on it. I think it's, I don't think first, this makes her, I don't think this makes or breaks him as a, as oh, a coach. Oh, it's a, it's going to be a form you, a formulative moment in terms of how the fan base perceives Gino Gadulli long-term. He's going from a pocket passer, Ben Bryant, who's not mobile, an offense that was built on chunk explosive plays. And in one week's time, he needs to pivot that to Evan Prater, who has much more strength running the ball, who, based on how they called the game in the second half last week, 
They seem to favor shorter routes, quicker passes. And some of that might be the, the lack of performance we're getting from the offensive line. But in one week's time, for an opportunity to play in another conference championship game, Gino Gadulli has to put together a, 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 a game plan here for a completely different style of quarterback. And we get to see how he deals with that on the fly and what kind of ingenuity he comes up with to help Evan Prater thrive in this offense. Because I do think it's unfair that it's going to become an, it's going to become mostly an evaluation of, of Prater and make or break Prater. And if we lose Prater's probably going to shoulder the brunt. And if we win, it, it could become a, a transcendent moment for the rest of his Bearcats career. But I'm actually more interested to see how our new offensive coordinator, who's in his first year, adapts to this pretty interesting and, and probably difficult circumstance. With all due respect, I think this is going to be our finest hour. We're going to get these boys into the end zone with points to spare. And we're going to bring this game home and we're going to host another American athletic championship. I I'm not as worried about it. The more like I've been going through this season and we talked about this, we actually didn't, there was a, a stint there where we should have recorded way more. And we, we joke there is actually in our new discord channel, the armchair coaches lounge for both basketball and football. Uh, and can I you, was, can you tell, guilty. can you tell we like the discord server? Yeah. We're enjoying it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great, but I, I was super guilty, especially when it came to the Bengals games uh, about criticizing play calling and whatnot. And like taking a step back and realizing like, we're not in the room when they're actually preparing game plans. We're not there watching the film that they're watching on these other players and in, in, in preparing for what they want to do. And people were, were throwing a fit when they went to go run a QB, basically a QB end around with Ben Bryant. Well, the other team, like maybe they're not expecting that either. Maybe that's why they want to run it because they know we never run Ben Bryant because he's slow as molasses. So you're trying to change it up. All I'm saying is I'm giving them the benefit of doubt when you do play a call play like that, because I don't, I'm not in the room. I'm not in there when they're game planning and what they're seeing on film to make these type of play calls. So I, I am going to trust them that they're going to be able to use the talent or the, the talents that, that are, that, that Evan is bringing to the game. That's different than what Ben Bryan is. We should be seeing more short passes. We should be seeing more tight end usage. We should be able to see a run game open up more because they're going to have to account for the fact that, we have great running backs. We have a great running quarterback who can throw accurate short passes. And then that's going to open up some deep balls. And we know our receivers are great at getting open down downfield. So there is going to be an element of where Evan also needs to execute. So th this is setting up that this is a very winnable game for us. Oh, this is, it's super, win it's Nippert fucking stadium. Dude, I'm, 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 I'm talking about the only, I'm just talking about in general, the opponent, a tough two lane team who last year on the, on the, is it the beat the, or the ride the wave or whatever, the green wave. I'm, I'm sorry guys for butchering your podcast name that they oh, tried. How, to, how are we supposed to remember it when they recorded a podcast with us, buried it, never released it to the masses. They tried I, to, they tried to corner us into being these cocky UC fans that were going to lose to Tulane last year. And they were going to release this podcast as like a gotcha moment. Um, but they I, were all, they were very high on their Tulane team of being like, you know, a God amongst men. And no, UC is going to smack them back into the AAC reality, the AAC basement where they belong this week. That's what's going to happen. I think Evan's going to come out. I think they're going to have a great game plan. I think they're going to play to his strengths. We're going to see a lot of, I think we're going to see a lot of run pass option. I think we're going to see a lot of, Hey, if it's not there, take off. Of course. Make them and I, I think that what I do, what I do find very interesting is that with Evan Prater being such a threat on the ground and there being no tape on it, except for the second half against temple, which was very vanilla. There is going to be pressure on the Tulane defense to come closer to that line of scrimmage. How have we not talked about this? What about happened what? at temple? Well, we will. We'll get there. Don't <laughs> let me forget to get there. We'll get there. But 
as they come closer to the line, they're closer to the line of scrimmage. It's already been easy for Trey Tucker and Tyler Scott to get behind a defense. And we're acting as though Evan Prater can't throw the ball 30 to 40 yards downfield. He can. He still has an arm, guys. It might not be the most accurate, but these are huge windows we've created all season. There's a chance these windows can be even bigger when you have the threat that Evan does on his legs. So I, I do. I am very interested in that. If I was concerned about one thing, it's the fact that Tulane does run the hell out of the ball. And if there's been one vulnerability in the past couple of seasons defensively for us, we just we fall into the trap sometimes of not knowing how to stop the run. And it happened last season with, you know, the, the greatest team in Bearcats history uh, for, for a few games there. And we obviously saw it in the national champ, the uh, college football playoff against Alabama foreshadowing. Um, we need to find a way to make sure we control that running game of Tulane. Do not let them control the clock. We need to be the controllers of the clock in this game. I'm gonna. What, what do you want to talk about with Temple? Tell tell the people what happened to you because Hummer last week was supposed to take his wife and child down to Philadelphia, his old stomping grounds. No, no, no. Know. We t- I, I t- we took him down to Philadelphia. We took. Him I know. Down. I'm just telling what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to go down to Philadelphia. Your child is going to be going to her first UC football game, and uh, I guess I'll let you pick it up from there. There are two away games that I've traveled to in my life that I got to the entrance to the stadium and I was not allowed into the stadium. The first one was the orange bowl down in Miami, uh, a special someone that my friends know by the name of orangey. She got too drunk. She almost got arrested and the cop made me give up my, my ticket as punishment and take her back to the hotel. So I was not in attendance at the orange bowl. Orangey was not allowed to attend the sugar bowl unless she was going with her own friends and not accompanied by me. The second time though, the second game is this weekend at temple. I don't know if you guys were watching the game and saw on the crowd. I was watching it on my iPad. Uh, There was a hundred people there, maybe a hundred and one not a big crowd at, at an NFL stadium, mind you, Lincoln financial field, home, home of the Philadelphia Eagles. And we did all the preparation of what you need to do to bring a child to a football game. We had gallon bags full of diapers, you know, a, a gallon, you know, the gallon Ziploc bags for diapers, a and D ointment for those of you in the know, uh, you know, we had another bag because you only have one per person and Coco being a person, she gets her own own gallon bag of food, you know, po- food pouches, little, you know, wipe, wipe your face off. And we get to the entrance to the stadium and the attendant just looks at us and goes, no strollers. And I was like, I didn't even think about stroller. I'm like, this is a temple game. There's a hundred people here. What are we worried about? This is Philadelphia, right? Like we're worried about what in the stroller, you know, we haven't heard about the carjackings up in North Philadelphia, but you guys are worried about a stroller at a game where there's a hundred people. At first I was cool. Julia was actually commenting on how like, Oh, I thought you were about to lose it. And so I go and I like, and I have to walk away and I look at the board. I'm like, Oh, sure enough. It says no strollers. Okay. And so I grabbed the stroller. I'm like, all right, Julia, let's just, let's just go. I don't, I don't want to argue with them. And as we're leaving, I just turn around and I yell, Hey, fuck Philly. <laughs> I'm glad the Phillies lost the fucking world series. You're up to three, $3 on the cookie jar. Yeah. $3 on the cookie jar. <laughs> now <laughs> that was the, no, no, no. It, it gets better. Cause in the last keep one was, going, keep going. you guys know there's a hundred people in that stadium, right? A <laughs> hundred, but there's a food festival right across the street at Xfinity live, the little tailgate area out front of out front of state that had more people there than were in the football game. No joke. And this guy is sitting out there. Who's the guy who's selling hand warmers starts just dying, laughing, just like, he's like cracking up. He's like, you get them, man. That's hysterical. hundred people <laughs> was not allowed into the game where there was a hundred people. And it's my fault for not knowing the stroller rule, but, Temple, get your shit together. It 
is a college football game where you have a hundred people, a hundred people there. <laughs> let, a, let, let a man and his baby in. Unfortunately, I think you just killed the, the angle I wanted to take this because when you text me this, I took the, I took the high road and thought, I, I feel really bad for Hummer. This sucks. You know, he took his wife, and, took his wife and kid down there. I feel bad for him. I, mean, I was out Christmas tree shopping with my family when this happened. I got the text and said, "Hey, man, I'm really sorry. This this is bad. I'm I'm sorry you're going through this." I know you didn't after, care. After <laughs> no, I cared. Here's the thing: I cared, Hummer. I cared, but I was driving in the car with Eva, Christmas tree on the top of our car, and I thought to myself and looked at her and I said. Do you do you ever remember seeing a stroller in a stadium ever in your life? And I thought New York, man, we can do it. We looked, we started looking it up. Barclays allows you to have them. The baseball stadiums allow you to have them. Okay. All right. See, I didn't know that because I thought to myself, I've never noticed a stroller in a stadium. And then I took it one step further and thought, where would you actually put a stroller in a stadium? Like, what were you planning on doing with said so stroller once you got here's the stadium? usually what we do. I was only, by the way, I was never comfortable bringing this up in front of your wife. I was not going to pour salt in a wound, but now no, that we're no, on the no, podcast, no, no. we're going to hash this fine. out. I want to yeah. get in Hummer's mind about where the stroller was going to go inside of a stadium. So here's usually what we do, right? You have, a lot of times you'll have, and this is going to sound even worse now that it's coming out of my mouth. There are the, the, Behind all of the the last rows, there's usually a little space there. Sometimes you can get the handicap if it's not being utilized. You can you can park them there, or what we purposely purposely do is buy the seats on the end on the last row by the railing, and we just put the stroller up by the railing. That's typically what we do. Uh, we've done it for baseball games. We've done it done it for basketball games, and that's why I told you I'm like, well when we were actually in Philadelphia proper, cause we left and we went back into the city and we, we actually noticed that Philadelphia itself was not a very kid friendly city where New York, on the other hand, ironically, you wouldn't think it is, is way more adaptable to children being able to bring your stroller, being more accommodating that you have a kid and, and allowing you to come into a tiny restaurant with a stroller, making space for you, that kind of stuff. And I guess we just, you know, the city of brotherly love is not a, is not a city of childrenly love. Okay. Yeah. They don't put up with those children. Take them out to the suburbs. All right. Philadelphia is definitely known for their, for their kindness, their understanding, their level-headedness. That's definitely what Philadelphia is known for. All right. Now, now that we get that out of the way, let's talk about South Gardner. I was, I was super close to telling you that we have to do this on the next episode. I still no, we might. got we got to we got to hammer. I still might cuz I don't think people will hear it right now. It's at the very end of the podcast. We just talked about a stroller for 10 minutes. Uh and and I like the idea of making you a little more irritated, sending you into Thanksgiving holiday wanting badly to talk about this. People don't really know the angle. They don't really know where we're going to take this. But That's Sauce Gardner, they don't know. And and put it this way, it could tee up for either a really good take friday or a really bad take on friday right so maybe we sit on it and we bring the and we leave this topic in the lobby and reconvene on this weekend sometime hopefully saturday sunday sometime around then for another episode where we can recap do a full maui recap hopefully after being victorious over louisville and hopefully after the bearcats cement their spot in the american athletic championship game I got to be honest. I I welcome the opportunity. I I look forward to the opportunity to welcome Central Florida back into our humble abode. Come back to Nipper. Come up. By, here. The, by the way, come one, back. One, come back to Daddy. Come up up here. One last one last thing before we go. Notre Dame is moving up the CFP rankings. There's no way they're making the 14 playoff. They're talking about New Year's Six bowl for them. <laughs> Ooh. Let's assume let's assume the dub on Friday and assume the AAC championship. Do you want a rematch of Alabama or rematch against Notre Dame? I want Notre Dame. I want Bama. I'm I'm good on Bama. I've had enough. <laughs> I'm good. I'll, I'll pass. 
<laughs> I've had enough of them. <laughs> uh, you know what? Our record against the SEC is not too great. You know, I'm independence, we're much I'm better. A, I'm a coward. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, give, me, give me Notre Dame. Give me the fickle Freeman Bowl. You know, 14 kids. Let's do it. Let's just bring the whole family back together and do this thing. And Notre Dame, here's what I love about playing Notre Dame. You get so much cachet from beating Notre Dame, but it's really not that hard to do. So give it, give us Notre Dame. I want Notre Dame. On that, take it out. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. <laughs>